1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company Affiliates and other insurers Discount not available in all states or situations We get it Staying home ain't it Especially around the holidays But this year Staying home means saving lives So we're changing it up By gathering less and planning small Our people are counting on us To make the right choice Think big Plan small Let's Stop the Spray, Columbus. Hi, everyone. We're two girls. We're bored, and this is Suddenly grown.
0: We're in our last year of college, so if you're in your early 20s, finishing high school, or in college and you just want a vibe, stick around.
1: However, if you're also significantly older and you want to get into your minds of some 20-year-old women, but in a non-creepy way, come ahead and join us.
0: Yeah, so this is our first podcast. We are very excited to be sharing this with you. Uh, The two of us have been talking about doing a podcast for about two years now, Mm -hmm. and this is something that we've finally gotten around to. You know, we have these incredibly long conversations, sometimes intelligent, sometimes not.
1: Most most times not.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) we figured that we might as well record them and put them on the internet because all the cool kids are doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really fell in line with how you we were feeling about the pandemic, to be honest, because I feel like we, or at least personally, I put off a lot of things in college to my last year because I was like, oh, I'm going to do all my classes. I'm going to be very serious. And then when I'm finally a senior, like now I'm going to get to enjoy my life, go out, do things that I never had time to do. But that just wasn't the case. And I just learned one of the lessons I learned throughout this pandemic was to do the things that you love progressively. And so I've been doing that again. So I picked up um, art as a hobby, I draw now. And I also started reading again, which is something that I, I just, I lost, you know, you and I were pretty avid readers when we were young. And I can speak for the both of us that we've lost it.
0: Absolutely. I think before we met, so we met when we were 14, which is when we were babies in high school we were freshmen um and we were ferocious readers in middle school I would like inhale books I would go to the library at school every single day like after I finished my lunch to like go return any books and pick up new yeah. ones for the next would, few days
1: for me you got to the point where the librarian librarian the like library the library lady <laughs> she
0: the librarian
1: whatever she knew me like on a, we. she knew me and like sometimes she would have books for me set up because she knew the type of books i like mm-hmm. i was a big fan of fantasy so i read a lot a lot of vampire books that was just my niche like not as much of like um the twilight but i liked um vampire academy i liked uh there was this there was a series, it has a moon on it, I really don't remember the name anymore, but I was just- Oh, no,
0: no, there was book. like a blue book, and there was a
1: green book, bu- I know, I know mm-hmm. what you're talking about, yeah. And then, even like Beautiful Creatures, that series mm-hmm. I got really into, yeah. What about
0: you? Yeah vampires were your thing I Mm -hmm. think mine was dystopian I feel like the dystopian genre was just becoming popular when I was in middle school Mm -hmm. um I think the first one that I read was I read Hunger Games when it became popular Mm -hmm. and then I was like oh you know I really like this and I figured out that this was the type of book I like to read so I read a lot more and then I remember I distinctly remember I was sitting in algebra class next to one of my friends and I was like, you know, I, all these books are, like, very similar. They're in this ridiculous society that they think is perfect, mm-hmm. but had, they have a glitch. Yeah. And there's always a girl and a guy. And she's like, yes. She was like, that's called a dystopian book. And I was like, oh. And I was like, okay, so these are the type of books I like to read. Exactly. Um, And I was a bit of a snob. I definitely read a lot of the dystopian books before they became popular, and I'm weirdly proud of that.
1: Mm-hmm. You were not only a small, but you also like to read what we call pink books. That was, like, Sarah Dessin and, like, and her posse.
0: Sarah Dessen is not pink books. Mm. So, for the general public, pink books is <laughs> a, a term, term that we came up with, I think, some point in high school to describe the books that you could sit down and read in a few hours. They are usually pink. They usually have a girl on the cover. Mm-hmm. And... The main topic is usually about how much she hates her life, and there's usually a boy involved somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, and it's it's very vanilla, you know, like she's dealing with probably an un- a popular girl. It, it's just like a Disney movie made into a book with a little bit more romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is what I
0: feel like that very is. accurate accurately describes it. I think I had a healthy a healthy combination of dystopian novels and pink books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I distinctly remember in seventh grade, one of my, one of my friends, my, actually my science lab partner, she made fun of me for always reading pink books. And she was like, I bet you couldn't read a real book if you tried. And that's actually how I started reading the City of Bones series.
1: Oh my God. Because Sandra, that doesn't fit into like dystopian, but that fits into like the fantasy realm. Cassandra Clare, I can still read her books to this day. I can't say that I can read a lot of the books that I read when I was younger, but the Mortal Instruments
0: set me The fact this. that I could read it when I was thirteen and mm-hmm. read it when I'm twenty one, that mm-hmm.
1: says something. That says a lot. And the fact that she had spin-offs. Actually, the Mortal Instruments isn't my favorite. It's the um the clockwork angel.
0: The yes, the the thr- the trilogy. The trilogy, yeah, oh, when they go to perfect.
1: London that that I know that you like historical you know you like historical mm-hmm. fiction I'm not a big fan of historical fiction but this was it satisfied my need for fantasy and a bit more maturity you know mm-hmm. and like and which is something that I've been looking for in the past few years as I've kind of like fallen back in love with reading because I kind of felt ashamed of the fact that I would read and lo- read so much fantasy when I was younger and I felt like as an adult I had to read books that you know were more mature and I every time I would read in college I'd read things like Michelle Obama's memoir I'd read The New Jim Crow I'd read Educated or The Handmaid's Tale which are amazing books but they're extremely heavy and sometimes you just don't want to press yourself with a book like that all the time right and so I wasn't mm-hmm. reading a lot but now I'm going back and finding myself reading like adult fantasy and I'm vibing with it.
0: Yeah, and I think we were talking about this earlier, but a lot of the books that you're reading now is actually a there's a, there's a name for that genre. It's called new adults. It is pretty much young adult books but a little bit more racy mm-hmm. um and more mature themes. Mm-hmm. And it's called New Adult, and the books were really entertaining. I personally really enjoy that. I feel like anyone who very much enjoyed reading young adults, I can still read most young adult books, mm-hmm. except I find it more and more difficult to relate with a sophomore in high school worried about her homecoming date.
1: Right, right. Well, um, you know, and so, <laughs> however old Bella was worried about a vampire and a werewolf fighting over her child or her, Yeah. It's, yeah, you can't relate. <laughs> i can't relate no (laughs) do you remember Um, just how crazy we got into that like team jacob team edward and now i can't even stand that series book fandoms
0: were real though and i feel like they still are to some extent because i know you just read a new book right um i believe it's called Sirens call
1: i did by jessica cage so I found her on Book Talk because, again, like part of my, I'm an adult now, let me read more mature books, is I want to read more books by authors of color that have um, characters of color, you know, I, it it didn't strike me as odd when I was younger that I was reading white books, for some reason it just didn't seem weird, and then I read Things Fall Apart in the 10th grade, and I was like, wait a second, this is my first time ever Reading a book by an African or by a black person in general, and then on top of that, these characters are not white that's weird. And then after that, I read like books by Jim Jimimonde. Afterwards, I read um, Americana and I started reading her books. And now I'm reading fantasy, right? It's a page that falls into that, like that satisfies my need for an imaginary world. It's just so strange. And like, I love mermaids, mermaids, you think. You know that my favorite, like, Greek god is Poseidon, right? Just because, like, the water. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And so this fits, like, my love of water and also characters that are Black and an author that is Black. And I just feel like I'm supporting her. And I really like that. Have you been reading books by um, authors of color?
0: Yeah, so this is also something that I, again, I grew up reading, I guess, what you would call white books with white protagonists. And it's not even something that I thought was off. Like I never questioned it because I just was like, oh, I live in America. I'm a person of color living in America and I just will not see representation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I never really expected it. So anytime I would see like an Indian character or they'd eat Indian food, I'd be like, oh, look look at that. Mm -hmm. And that would uh, fulfill me. But I think similar to you, I, during quarantine, spend a lot of time on the book side of TikTok. Mm -hmm. And so I did get a lot of recommendations for not just books by people of color, but actually books written by people from South Asia. And the experiences that I've had reading South Asian books about South Asia in the past just were not great. But uh, I am trying to be more conscious of what I read and what I consume. Um, And so my list, I haven't read any yet, but they're on my list.
1: Okay, that's great, because I do remember the specific book that we both read, but never really discussed until recently, was Tiger's Curse. you remember this one?
0: I do remember this book. So this book is the reason that I thought that I just could not read South Asian books, <laughs> um, which is so unfortunate, because the book is written by a white woman. The author is white. Yes. Uh, the protagonist is white. But the premise of the book, like all the other characters are Indian mm-hmm. and the book takes place in India and it was just one of the most bizarre experiences that I've ever had and I think it's because I was 15 or 16 when I read it and I just could not figure out why I hated the book so much and I just assumed that it was because it was about India and not well done and I just assumed that that's what the rest of the genre would be like as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, for people who don't know, like, what Tiger's Curse is or have never heard it, this, this is a summary. The last thing teenager Kelsey Hayes thought she would be doing over the summer was meeting Wren, a mysterious white tiger and cursed Indian prince. When she learns that she alone, yes, this white girl, she alone can break the Tiger's <laughs> Curse. Kelsey's life is turned upside down. The unlikely duo journeys halfway around the world to piece together an indian prophecy the prophecy of india (laughs) find a way to free the man trapped by centuries old spell and discover their path the path to their true destiny and like there are there are not one but two there are three tiger's curse books and the best part it is a trilogy it is it is a trilogy
0: and, and there is the- a love, tri- there is a love triangle. Like there is not one tiger, there are two tigers. Two tigers. They are brothers, and Kelsey flip flops between them, like she, the main character, would in any good love triangle.
1: Why do they always have to be brothers too? Like, don't you have respect for family? That's just a- some nasty. Mm-mm.
0: I think it's because, at least in this case, the brothers didn't really get along in the first place.
1: And so what? That does not mean you get to go sleep with someone's brother, like. I- she that does
0: name. not happen in the book but or at least I don't remember but <laughs> that
1: doesn't happen in the book but there were some steamy moments with the black tiger I forgot what his name was
0: <laughs> but. but yeah the book was it just made me so uncomfortable and I think to characterize it perfectly somehow this book has 4.06 stars on goodreads oh. I judge all books by what is seen on goodreads now I take the comments with a grain of salt but I think this one really hit home it was, have you ever been in the company of one of those people who is not being or mean, but is unintentionally racist in a way that makes you feel really uncomfortable? Maybe they mimic a foreign accent and think they're being funny, or they make a joke and don't know history well enough to know that it's not funny. This book is like one of those people.
1: Oof. Oof. I
0: think Miss May, Miss Emily May, really just, she nailed it.
1: Yeah, absolutely nailed it. Like, that was also... When I read that book, that was also like one of my first few encounters with India as well, right? And so imagine somebody, and I think that authors have to be very careful when they do this, when they introduce characters of color or they want to talk about a culture that they might not understand because that might be their exposure that they're giving to certain people, you know? For you, Mm -hmm. it turned you off of... Books with Indian. For me it turned and...
0: me off the genre. For you, you were fortunate that you have a best friend who is Indian and shut that down really quickly.
1: Like I would come to but you like with a tiger's curse bull. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but imagine you lived in the Midwest somewhere and you randomly picked up that book and you your name was like you were blonde and your name was Samantha. Oh, and you picked it up and you were like, so this is what India is like?
1: Right. And it's not, to, it's really not to make fun of any blonde Samanthas. I'm sure y'all are fine. But it's like, you—that it, that is what happens sometimes because the interactions that you have with something that is not in your environment, that you don't have access to, that is what's going to stick by you. You're going to think all Indian dudes are red and they're all tigers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and not to. I'm not dismissing this book. I am I sure am. the author had a reason to write about the Indian culture. I'm just very curious as to why she chose to write about a culture that's so different. Mm. Um okay. all
1: right, fine. We can we can play devil's advocate advocate because she
0: does have a white protagonist right I, I know, I know, and I know, so, so i'm curious didn't... why she chose to write this book in a situation or like just in an entire like it's a the That's entire true. book pretty much takes place in india so i'm curious why she chose to write it in a different culture like did she go to india and fall in love or, or
1: my question did she do is... an eat
0: pray love thing <laughs> did she read about it
1: my question is why didn't she just do jk rowling and then create a whole new world and still mess up the racial component of it like, <laughs> she yeah. could have also done that she could have done
0: that yeah I think we'll just leave this book where it is I read it a few years ago if you want to laugh you can absolutely go read it
1: absolutely
0: um, just please note it is not an accurate portrayal of India mm-hmm. or Indian food or Indian men <sighs>
1: I was out here thinking I'd find myself a rent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but honestly, look, I'm very serious though about like the J. K. Rowling comment I just made. Like I I think both of us, we are mm-hmm. Harry Potter lovers. I'm Absolutely. What what person have you met that isn't a Harry Potter lover? I have yet to meet someone who doesn't love Harry Potter.
0: I yes. actually have met quite a few people okay. that have never read it. Okay watched it. um missed? no who haven't read or watched it and i think at this point it's a pride thing for them where they're like oh i've never read it and i think they enjoy being inflammatory
1: there's actually, so there's no there's actually this podcast called Pottermore or something potter something mm-hmm, where this man yeah is like, oh i've never watched harry potter before watch like i'll read it out loud or comment yeah on it or something. i'm like
0: and he comments okay, on it yeah
1: oh flex i guess this is all of my this is my childhood but
0: whatever you're gonna monopolize on that okay (laughs) i think i personally so my history with harry potter is that when i was like four or five years old my dad was watching the second movie Mm. i saw ron cough up slugs and i swore i would never read these books or watch those movies but then I was at a party and someone was watching The Half-Blood Prince when I was in fifth grade and I was like, this is so cool. I'm going to go read all the books. So, so that was t- my introduction.
1: You were turned off from it too because I was, because I saw The Prisoner of Azkaban and I saw Bobby the house elf. and I thought that was the creepiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I was so terrified of that thing. I said, woohoo! Because it was like, because you know, also he was causing a bunch of trouble for Harry. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, I was like, I was... It was in like I, I was really young. You must
0: have been young yeah, because I was very, the third very young. movie came out when we were pretty young,
1: right? And I couldn't understand that Bobby was enslaved, and I could, also couldn't understand that like the nuances in the film, like at all, right? And I was just terrified. You want to identify with the most powerful character, which is Harry, and like I also told myself I'd never read it, but then I think you know my classmates were reading it, and, and I kind of picked up the series. I vividly remember. When I read The Deathly Hallows, I finished that book in two days. This is, to this day, I am 21 years old, and I count that as one of my top ten accomplishments because The Deathly Hallows is thick.
0: It is so fat. I, uh, I also finished it in two days. I, my birthday party was on a Sunday. I had read the first six books. The seventh book had just came out. My friend gave me the seventh book for my birthday. She wrote on the inside, too, which I was, like, kind of peeved about. I'm still right. peeved about it. Um, But I read the book all of Sunday, went to school Monday, came back from school on Monday, and I finished it before I started my homework.
1: Yep. My mom was so pissed at me during the time when I was like reading this series because she'd find me in my room, right, with like my my light on under my covers, just reading it. She's like, I remember her getting mad at me for reading. She pulled books away from me, but she, and she also thought that I couldn't read as fast as I did. She was like, There's no way you finish that book fast. I'm like, Just because I can read fast, just it, just because you can't, it's no
0: okay it's not even that it's just that we have absolutely no reason to lie you and I both hate rereading books
1: that's true and I only
0: reread a book if I like love the book
1: and that's what I was annoyed with with myself as well because I read that book way too fast and I maybe I can reread it now because it's a good I don't know more than 10 years since I last read it but I I hate rereading books because I already know what happened so I skipped to the juicy parts you know
0: I actually this something that's changed over time so I used to hate reading books mm-hmm. and if a book isn't good it's not worth my time I definitely will not reread it but if I enjoy reading a book I will reread it again and again, again, again. there is actually a book by Sarah Dessen that I read at least once a year really? I've been reading it at least once a year for the past five or six years oh which one is it it's lock and key I don't know why. Oh I god, just I really know. enjoy that book.
1: God. That's like her, I read like, it most basic book in the entire world. I'm not not. I enjoy that book.
0: book. I don't know I... what to tell you.
1: Oh my god! I read
0: serious literature as well.
1: Okay, I know you do. I know you do. You read your pink books. You read your pink. Book.
0: I read my pink books, but I have a healthy balance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how do we though? How do we feel though about like like talking about Harry Potter? How do we feel about the recent? conversations that we're having with JK Rowling you know about the way that she incorporates race into her books
0: yeah I think so I'm not as informed I know that there's a lot of allegations regarding the way that she approaches race Mm -hmm. which I absolutely agree with I think um the way that a lot of the people of color are portrayed within the Harry Potter universe is not, it just does not do them justice um, within the books or within the movies. I'm kind of personally more upset about the movies because it wasn't JK Rowling sitting there with a pen and paper and maybe her publisher looking over it. It was an entire team of individuals who saw that being put into on the big screen and being like, oh, this is okay for us to put out for general consumption.
1: Yeah, because I think the points of contention was like Cho Chang, right? Because of her name. And and there's also two
0: last two, names.
1: Two last names, it, and I didn't even uh, notice this until someone on TikTok mentioned that in the Potter universe there is literally Severus Snape, Albus Dumbledore, all of these names that are very imaginative. Yet when mm-hmm. you have one Asian character, you re- but actually two Asian, three Asian characters, right? Because there were the Patzel sisters and then the Richard mm-hmm. thing. You could have given the Potter sisters completely made up names. You could have. Mm-hmm you didn't have to give them Indian names for them to be Indian. You didn't have no. to do that. Or Cho Chang. Like, come on, bro. Like, that's that, that's a lot. And I think I think even with Cho, there's this discourse going around of the fact that, like, Harry had a, a bit of, like, romantic, a romantic situation with her, a bit of intimacy with her, and then dropped her for a white girl. But I'm not exactly sure if that is truly the intent that was made because their beliefs of this, like, that oh you'll play around with a girl of color but then ultimately choose a white girl but I really I think that mm-hmm. might be a stretch that I don't know I don't I haven't reread really the books enough to be able to see that as the problem but I think the main point of contention was her, like, was her name
0: yeah and this is obviously just a conversation of what we've read and heard in the past few months regarding this I personally have not read the books in a good 10 years i don't think you have either Mm-mm. so we are not speaking from our personal observations. yeah and um, if I'm being completely sorry yeah no go ahead
1: and if i'm being completely honest i wasn't reading it i was really only reading the books for the duel, right and and this what harry potter came out in the 90s right the early 90s
0: yeah jk rowling wrote these books a good 20 years ago and back then I'm not going to lie, I would not expect a white woman to include people of color in her books and do them justice.
1: I would not expect expect that from a white British woman. Remember, these are the (laughs) OG colonizers of the world. You really expect the understanding about racial uh, racial justice and inclusivity. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think
0: the push to include diversity within popular media, it's actually a very recent movement. Um, and the push representation is also a recent movement and I absolutely understand why we need to see that because only once we shove it into everyone's faces will it become normalized oh, absolutely. but I think this just was not the standard back in the 90s so I think to some extent we can accept at least the books as a product of their time and I think the best we can do is to hold J.K. Rowling to a higher standard with the not just her tweets but right. the literature that she posts um, starting the, the now rest,
1: yeah all of the books that she's written like after Harry Potter we have to hold her accountable for mm-hmm. I- Heard that there are many more transgressions apart from just the, the racial ones as well. But yeah, that poses because I remember a lot of the media I consumed and a lot of the books I read that were a bit older. I didn't expect them to do that. And you have to remember, like, for example, the, the shows from the early 2000, 2000s or even late 90s, like the women were predominantly white, they were very skinny, just the standard was not what we see today and no absolutely not is it is it unfair to say that I hold books and movies and tvs to a different standard right for me when I see a book I feel like it's more intimate than a movie is Mm -hmm. you know I think
0: with books it's just so we talked about Harry Potter and we talked about the tiger's curse and we can see it right then and there. When a white woman goes to write about people of color, Mm -hmm. she does not have personal experience. There's a reason that the first rule of writing that we are taught in school is write what you know. Mm -hmm. They very clearly, unless they are so, embedded into that culture and have such a thorough understanding of that culture, they cannot accurately portray people of color and they cannot do those characters justice. So I would not expect them to include them in their writing. I don't think we should expect them to include them in their writing. Like if someone from, say, Forks, Washington wants to write a book about Forks, Washington and only include white people, it's more power to them because I would rather they do that than include people of color and be either intentionally or unintentionally racist in the process
1: yeah and that's completely different from movies and tv shows because there's there are whole production teams that go into making sure that like you produce something that is good right because Mm -hmm. i mean i think we've seen in the 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 last couple of months with the push that you know tvs and movies have to include people of color and you see them on screen but you don't see them in like the the you don't see them as directors, or you don't see them as writers. You don't see the, pe- the people that are making the decisions, ultimately. Also, yeah, the
0: absolutely. Like, like the controversy surrounding the latest Milan movie that just yeah. came out.
1: Absolutely, like, and there are, first the fact that it's um in uh, they used it was a, it was a film that a Uyghur camp I believe or
0: mm-hmm. it was filmed it? in a city that had a Uyghur, Uyghur, Uyghur camp, camp I believe yeah. yeah.
1: And then on top of that, that no Asian American people were at the table making the decisions about this film. None at all. Mm -hmm. It was basically white people interpreting Asian culture all over again, which is what Disney has already been doing with all of their movies, like The Lion King, Aladdin, (laughs) Aladdin, Aladdin, and even the Mulan that we... I mean, I love Mulan, I'm not even going to lie, but... Mm -hmm. I I hold TVs and movies to a, to a whole different standard because there, if you don't at least have one person of color, of color on your team, you know enough, you have enough sense to make sure that you have POC on screen, but you don't have them in the back
0: in uh, the background, yeah. yeah. That's where the decisions are fishy. being made.
1: Exactly, that just seems too fishy. It means that you know exactly what you're doing, and it's not like you can't feign ignorance anymore.
0: It means any and all push that your company, which let's face it, they probably have some sort of diversity message like almost every single company has one it means that it's entirely performative if you don't have anything in the background Mm -hmm. and I think the only caveat with uh the distinction that we've made between TVs and the tv and uh movies and books is that this distinction is Mm -hmm. for now I think anything it's it's pains me to say this but like anything that's like maybe more than 15 years ago like we just need to accept it as a product of its time like we need to understand that a lot of what happens in there is not okay um and we need to do better
1: let's say (laughs) pre-obama
0: yeah like i'm not saying be passive about the media from before before 2008 but we need to understand that there just there was not a push for this
1: no these are reasons, um, and they're good yeah. things, and they're very good things, because it's, it's like we're waking up, and I mean, I can just, I can accredit this to millennials. I oh absolutely. accredit this to millennials. And
0: I actually was having a conversation about this with my cousin just a few days ago about how um, the push for diversity is just so in your face the time Mm -hmm. and at times it can appear to be performative Mm -hmm. but until it's in your face and it is just absolutely everywhere it's not going to become second nature Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: it's not going to become normalized
1: do you remember during like it was really at the beginning of june right when the black lives matter movement was just like on everyone's mind jackie Mm -hmm. and others i know she's not the one who started it but like she's the face i remember she started this shut up put out or shut up campaign pull up or shut up I think campaign where she was challenging makeup companies to show the list of people of color they had as executives right and that was really really important and it wasn't just black people she was like I want to see the women I want to see the POC because that's a problem if you don't have them at the top you know and like and I think some people found that to be very aggressive but when you saw the numbers come out and you saw that these companies are also rely on people of color to use their makeup but then somehow don't want to put us in place the in um in places where we can make decisions that's not right Mm -hmm. it's just not and now we can hold them accountable and I, i i'm seeing a good future for us. I am. I'm. I'm not. Really, I'm normally not an optimist, but I really just feel like it's inevitable to have that change because either communities of color are just going to create their own industries, or, or you know, white space is just going to have to let us in.
0: Yes, and also the amount, the percentage of white people is decreasing relative to the number of Very people true. of color. Um, especially when you take, at least like in America, when you take into account the number of immigrants that are co- coming. It, no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just like with that and also with the people that are like increasing the number of people that are mixed race, like it's just the, the people that are just classified as white, it's going down. It's, going it's inevitable.
1: Down. I mean, and also. It's important to understand that this is inevitable just because of the fact that America runs on immigration. Like, mm-hmm. America runs on people who are not from here. And, like, the sooner this country gets it, <laughs> the sooner we can all be happy.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And that's not to say there aren't barriers for people of color and 100%. that there aren't very serious issues affecting them. I just think that, at least in terms of diversity, I think there's a lot of work to be done, but I am optimistic about the direction going, in which yeah. this is headed yeah
1: like okay i started watching the show girlfriends on netflix i a lot of people grew up with it but i was too young when it came out it came out in 2000 right so it was not a mm-hmm. show i could watch and i watch the way that they talk about certain spaces and there's still issues that transcend to this day but i see, look first the women are the women are skinny it's a bit scary to see that because they're gorgeous women, but I'm like, wow, there's such a push to have women of different sizes and shapes on screen now. Like, in, have you seen Euphoria? Yeah. Like, they're so different. Like, I mean, it's not even just the other show. They're just, like, push, to, a push to see women of different different shapes and different sizes on screen. And there's also, like, the main character, she works in a law firm, right? And, for example, that in that law firm, they didn't let her have MLK Day off you know, and she has to fight Mm -hmm. for that, and just the language around racial equity and diversity and everything, it just wasn't there in, like, the 2000s, and so, I feel like when people are, like, are thinking that it's bleak and that, you know, nothing's happening, change is happening, we might not see it, and it's not happening as fast as we want it to be, but we're getting there, we're getting there, Mm -hmm. and, like, again, thank our millennials, Do do you remember how we used to not consider ourselves millennials?
0: Absolutely. I think when we were in high school, a lot of the rhetoric surrounding millennials was those articles about stop buying avocado toast and maybe you could be able to buy property.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that still hurts. That actually still hurts. And I think, I mean, because what are we? We're not exactly millennials. We're born in 99, right?
0: We're we born 99. We're not Millennials. We're not Generation Z. I think depending on who you ask, they would bump us into one or the other. Mm-hmm. But growing up, like at least in high school, we hated being called Millennials. Yeah. And we are definitely not Generation Z oh, because we just not. don't have that sort of chaotic yeah. energy. <laughs> we
1: don't. We're not about to burn buildings down. Like we just don't have that. At the same time, I feel like we're becoming more and more millennial-like as we grow up, right? Absolutely.
0: It, it I think sense. we sympathize with them a lot more as we get yeah. older, because I think when we were in high school, a lot of the... First of all, we didn't understand the concept of nuance, we
1: really didn't. and
0: on top of that, a lot of the issues that millennials get the most, um, get the most, like, I guess... Uh, clap back criticism for. for yeah the most criticism for is for it has to do with legitimate issues that you don't really feel until you are become on your way to becoming an adult yeah um like student loans and job searching and whether or not you're going to go to grad school like those are all decisions that millennials were making when we were in high school and we were all like that i don't understand it
1: i don't understand why can't they
0: just pay their taxes and go right. buy a
1: house i don't understand that why that's so stressful and it's like mm-hmm. well when when boomers were buying houses and going to college and everything, it was significantly cheaper, you know? And it yeah. was, like, it wasn't as hard to get into college. Not quite important. It's, like, I feel like when older folks hear it, they, they see it as, like, you're invalidating my accomplishments, and it's not that. Just understand that Absolutely the world has not. changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The world has just changed, and it's harder now. Like, do you know, in high school, there was so much push to let my parents, to let have my parents let me do sports or... Clubs because they didn't understand why I had to sell myself with all these extra things, you know.
0: And that mm-hmm. also could
1: be because they're not from the U.S., right? But we have young. We have to do so much more than the people that were came before us to be
0: to, to go to area. a state school,
1: right? To go to a state school. It's like, like
0: literally just the 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 barrier for entering a state school is so high, um, that. If you, I could not even imagine what it's like for a private school.
1: Exactly. And so I feel so bad for our younger siblings that are coming up right now because it was already really hard when we were applying and the stress was real. The stress was absolutely real. And now it's like, now we're thinking about grad school potentially, and for me, med school. And I'm like, all right, $200,000. Who wants to pay that for me? So, like, what it means to be Mm -hmm. an adult though? Because the issues that millennials were dealing with i'm like all right this is the process of adulting this is a process of growing up and i think that is really what our podcast we wanted our podcast to be that hazy a hazy space between not exactly being a kid anymore not relying too much on the parents but what it meant for us to be adults like for us being suddenly grown was I don't know. We came up with the podcast name on the fly, but it just stuck. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> no. I think it pretty much encompasses the fact that we are we're not adults. We are pseudo adults. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm we are treated and expected to act like adults when it is convenient for those around us. Our parents. Um, yes, for our parents, especially <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, you are living at home with your parents, and I moved back to live at home with my parents during the pandemic as well. And it's definitely I sometimes feel like I'm back in high school oh, and we are treated like we are 12 years old except when they need us to act like adults
1: oh yeah as in go um, to Costco and buy booze yes yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. um and it's like it's an interesting place to be it's because actually- I don't think there's any other time in your life when you feel this Disconnect between your actual age and what you're treated like.
1: Yeah. And I, especially when I'm comparing my life to other people my age, like one of our closest friends is getting married. We are literally the same age. And next year, she's married. We're bridesmaids at her wedding.
0: Yeah. What? Like a few days ago, we were talking about what dress we are like what we were talking about the different shades of blue there's like 400 (laughs) different shades of blue available at one bridal salon because and i'm
1: here like okay like this is the middle this is where we're at like our friend is out here talking about marriage but yet i have a friend who doesn't know what a 401k is and who doesn't know like what credit scores are right and like but we're we're not at either stage we're smacking no
0: we are solidly in the middle I feel like we are doing well for ourselves we understand the concepts of what it's like to be an adult but you and I also mentally sometimes choose to be 12 years old
1: yeah so it's it's fine. fine and I I think it goes back to the idea of the standard of adulthood shifting right because i remember Mm -hmm. when i was in high school i used to think that being 16 was so fly i'd get a car i'd be driving everywhere you know i have all this freedom and then i turn 16
0: because in popular media yes we see you turn 16 your parents hand you the keys to a shiny red car and Mm -hmm. you go pick up your friends and you go get burgers or milkshakes or whatever in reality you go to to costco
1: yep Your mom requires you to get your Costco membership that you have to pay for. And you drive to Costco in a blue minivan and pick up said groceries. (laughs) That was my experience.
0: Yeah. Mine was a little bit different. I drove a gray sedan, but I pretty much just became a chauffeur. Like the day I turned 16, I became a chauffeur to my little sister.
1: Exactly. And then when we turned 18, we're like, all right, 18 is adulthood. You know, you're legally an adult. You can get tried as an adult. This is the time, you know, real respect comes, great. But then you realize you can only buy a lottery ticket or whatever. You can't do anything, anything.
0: You, I was a senior in high school when I was 17 day, seventeen years and 364 days old. I was still a senior in high school and it's weird, the day I turned 18.
1: It's weird because you're you go from having to raise your hand to go to the bathroom to all of a sudden having to know how to manage student loans knowing how to handle yourself in college, handle your life at that point. It mm-hmm. it's like, it's is no like, there is no it transition. after,
0: absolutely. It is a very difficult transition. I think it was cushioned for mm-hmm. us because we have the support of our parents. Yeah. And let's face it, we are women that are also children of immigrants. Mm-hmm. So we had a very different experience than what you would expect Um, the typical American teenager to have when they turn 18 mm-hmm. but it, it's still like that level of being constantly watched to having this like unnecessary amount of freedom yeah was, was unnerving Sorry. but I definitely did not feel like an adult because I feel like all of that new responsibility just hit you so hard that you felt like you were drowning and I feel like adults are cool and calm they know what they're doing right
1: okay and then you turn 21 is that adulting then is that when you're finally an adult
0: no, now you're just, like, an adult that can drink, legally.
1: Uh, yes, legally drink. But you still don't have anything. But then, no, 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 no. I think I think what it is, is when you turn 26, then you're a real adult, because you get kicked off your parents' insurance, and you have to fend for yourself.
0: That's true. At that point, you have to have life figured out.
1: Exactly. Because if
0: you're, if your parents are still, if you're still on your parents' health insurance, you got nothing.
1: So, this is my problem, though, because at that point, I will be smack in the middle of of uh, med school so you might need to claim me as a dependent just just like yeah you, know. you can
0: just go from being a dependent on your parents taxes <laughs> to being a dependent on my taxes um i don't even know if i can claim another adult as a, as a dependent unless they're my spouse or something like that a. oh maybe you can get married maybe that's the solution
1: Get married to you are you proposing to? not me? to me
0: but to oh, someone else
1: i love the rejection she said so quickly there was no transition i'm cute you guys might not be able to see me but i'm very cute
0: you <laughs> very don't cute. sound it
1: well thanks a lot but you know with in all honesty i think where we're at right now is we're trying to figure ourselves out and i feel that sounds so cliche Ugh, but it's the truth we wouldn't...
0: 17 year old S would have mocked us so uh, hard.
1: No, that's a, I'm figuring myself out, you know.
0: I'm so just familiar. taking the time I need to figure out my next steps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth. I think they're cliches because they're true, right? They're cliches because they're true. We're figuring ourselves out, and we are in the we're seniors in college. I'm going to go to med school in two years. You are going to get a job this year to then, you know, pay for our lunches until I have money to return the favor but yeah
0: absolutely okay. I'm gonna pay for our lunches and I will be keeping very close track of them with interest until you become a rich doctor okay. <laughs> at which point it, the tables will turn
1: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but you know this it's as much as we can complain about you know being treated as, as kids or con- adults from convenience sometimes I think that we're absolutely lucky to have the families and like the support system that we've had. And this, this pandemic has made that so much more clear, you know?
0: Absolutely. We are so fortunate to, A, be quarantining with a support system. like You and I are so fortunate that we get to stay with our families mm-hmm. and not go insane from living alone. Because I know so many people that are staying alone, and it's just difficult for them to so not safe. interact with anyone. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, should anything happen to us, we have access to health care we have access to good food um we're not in we're not lacking in any major way and as much as we love to complain about any minor inconveniences but they're all first world problems we are awesome. fine
1: we're fine we're just we're just growing that's it
0: yes that's it we're growing pains
1: oh god Oh, stop with the cliches, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys for listening to our rambling this was our first official podcast um i hope you stick around and listen to the other ones we are really nervous and we hope that you can vibe with us in the future
0: yeah so if you made it this far first of all i applaud you yeah but thank you so much for lending us your ears and we hope to see you next week on
1: suddenly grown
0: Progressive Casualty
1: Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We get it. Staying home ain't it. Especially around the holidays. But this year, staying home means saving lives. So we're changing it up by gathering less and planning small. Our people are counting on us to make the right choice. Think big. Plan small. Let's stop the spread, Columbus.